come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The podcast from outer space. Rolling. Here we go. And welcome back to the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Billy the Kid, a.k.a. the Korean Cowboy in the studio. Yeehaw, bitches. What's going on? And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Good tidings to all, far and wide, wherever you may be. And to all a good night. Yes, and to all a good night or morning. And this is episode 123, where we will be discussing the Warminster thing. Yes, the holidays are upon us. Uh, so this will be, I think, some good content for you to dive into on your uh, holiday travels. Uh, you know, I think we dropped the ball last episode, not dropping it until after Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, if you're on your holiday travels this year or perhaps you're by yourself, if you, you know, like to spend the holidays that way, uh, either way, we're right there. Uh, we will be right there uh, giving you guys some good content uh, to listen to, get you through the holiday season. Um, and, you know, speaking of, have we ever done a specific uh, Christmas-themed episode? I don't believe so, but uh, I was hoping our next episode could be a little bit, like, Christmas in theme. Okay, okay. Well, yes, I I do not think we have done one before. Now, if this is our... I mean, if not, you know, this is our, our first Christmas-themed episode, I think, because, you know, some of the events in here take place on... Christmas Mjarnin. First thing, Christmas Mjarnin. So, you know, I think it's it's kind of like Die Hard. You know, it's it's a Christmas movie, but not a Christmas movie, right? I mean, that is considered a Christmas movie, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know, just because it's the office Christmas party, it's not like, uh, you know, Santa Claus isn't up in the vents saving the day saying yippee-ki-yay, you know? It could be. <laughs> Okay, well, Rob, go on. Guys, we should we should do an episode where we dissect if Santa Claus is real or not. You know, I actually do remember us getting into that a bit on an episode. I do for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but Rob, you remember we were talking about like Santa Oh, it was Antarctica, I believe. Yep. Check out our Antarctica episode. We talked all about like the origins of Santa being like a Swami shaman or something and like tripping mushrooms and drinking reindeer piss. Look into it. Santa Claus origin story coming soon. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can do a whole episode. <laughs> um, and you know, also I was looking up, is there a Christmas UFO movie? Uh, and I did find. I don't I, believe there is. Have you seen Alien Xmas? I have not. Apparently, it's a net. Absolutely not. It's a Netflix stop animation movie produced by John Favreau. Okay, I'm interested. Uh, no, I've never seen it, but it's on Netflix. But you know, live action. I don't think there's a Christmas UFO movie, and if not, this one is the script. Uh, for that oh, film, don't go giving our ideas out. <laughs> yeah now now all right first off as always is the case uh not counting my brief mention of this on our stonehenge episode uh which was the episode before this one episode 122 if you want to check that out now had either of you 
gentlemen heard of this case, the Warminster thing? You guys, did you guys have any uh, any knowledge of this one prior, or what? What do we got? I'm thinking probably not. Uh, honestly, until you mentioned it last time, I had never heard of this until obviously researching before we're currently recording. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go with Rob on that one. I had never heard of this one, but after looking into it more, definitely interesting. It's basically Britain's Roswell, and we will dive deep into this one. It was funny because I was looking up some stuff on YouTube trying to find more info on it, and I couldn't find a single video like I was mentioning to you on YouTube about this. So I, I feel like it's kind of a widely unknown event from my understanding. Yeah, and maybe I'm thinking maybe your algorithm is fucked off, dude. Maybe they've shadow banned. Fucked off. <laughs> maybe it's fucked off. <laughs> maybe quite possibly. Maybe they've shadow banned this from you because I did find one um, YouTube video, uh, but yeah, I mean one. <laughs> yeah, well, well, my search was primarily on Reddit threads and like message boards, okay. but there was a link in that I found. I didn't actually specifically search YouTube, so I don't know um, what's going on there. But yes, I as well did not ever hear of this one. You know, it's like I said, in the Stonehenge research was where I stumbled on this. Uh, and, and, you know, after looking into it, I figure, hell, this is right up our alley. Let's do a whole episode. And and yeah, from what I gather as well, it's it's pretty like underground, you know. I mean, I I did see a couple of other podcasts have covered it. There's been a uh, a few, quite a few books written on the topic. Uh, the most popular one being the Warminster Mystery by a journalist turned UFO researcher Arthur Shuttlewood. Now sounds like another fake name. Well, no, this is a genuine guy. This is a real guy that existed. And this guy is sort of like um, the John Keel, I guess, of the UK. You know, you remember John Keel from our Mothman episode and Men in Black? He kind of like popularized those whole spiels. Now, okay. from what I gather, this Arthur, Shuttle, Arthur Shuttlewood gentleman, he's uh, maybe more sensational especially as he got more invested into UFOs. Uh, because like we said, he started off as a journalist for the local newspaper, the Warminster Journal, and he described himself as a skeptic before this case. Um, and then like once he got into this case, this got him like fully immersed in ufology. And he's basically the driving force of this story. Uh, you know, he took it upon himself to kind of compile all of these sightings and encounters with the Warminster thing. Um, and now the reason I bring this up, the reason I'm I'm kind of starting off getting into this gentleman is because I believe there might be a little bit of like uh, tomfoolery here, you know, <laughs> a little bit of uh, he's a. He's a fucking Jenna. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of like <laughs> dubious accounts. I mean, you'll see throughout the episode. I've also got a whole theory that fits into Shuttlewood's role. Um, but just know that much of the original research and firsthand accounts were collected by this gentleman, Mr. Arthur Shuttlewood. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, if. Hmm, quiet. If you're like if you're like us, uh, you had never heard anything about this one before. The Warminster thing involves a decades-long mystery and a string of UFO sightings that gripped 
the small British town of Warminster back in the mid-1960s. Now, as we said on our Stonehenge episode, Warminster is about 15 miles west of Stonehenge. Uh, So, you know, get your British accents ready for this one, boys, because we are headed across the pond once again. Now, was that good? The so I pond. wore this shirt today, you know what I'm saying? Hopping across <laughs> the pond. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah. Rob's wearing a Titanic shirt since this is a uh, audio podcast and you can't see him holding up his shirt. <laughs> now, <laughs> Can you see that? <laughs> now, at the time this occurred, it was one of the largest UFO flaps ever to occur involving thousands of witness reports. Um, although throughout the golden age of UFOs and into modern times, the Warminster thing seems to have slipped into obscurity and is now largely forgotten. So in this episode, we will take you through a timeline of events as we look at the history of these sightings, hear some firsthand witness accounts, and of course, get into a few theories on just what the hell was going on in the town of Warminster back in the mid-1960s. Now, Before we get into these stories, I got to say this one is intriguing in that all of this uh, hullabaloo, all of this uh, uproar, you know, all of this racket was started not with sightings. In the early reports, there is not a single UFO scene, uh, but this one began with hearings. And that's not like congressional hearings, um, but people hearing strange unidentified sounds um so i mean that's perfect for us because we're an audio-based show you know and what else guys is primarily audio-based the bells on christmas day yes i heard the bells on christmas day i heard the bells of santa's sleigh hear those j-i-n-g-l-e bells christmas santa lots of sound connections here am i right Jingle jangle, baby. (laughs) Yeah, jingle jangle. Jingle jangle, dude. Um, Now, in terms of the Hynek close encounter scale, I'm thinking that this one falls into a close encounter of the second kind, a CE2, if we want to get tactical. Um, Now, that is defined as, quote, A UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device. Animals reacting a physiological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation or a chemical trace. So, you know, hearing and actually being affected by the sound, wouldn't that fit the bill here? Sounds about right, isn't it? <laughs> okay, righto. Um, so we got a CE2, close encounter of the second kind. Now, The fact that witnesses only ever heard whatever this was is also possibly what led this one to being dubbed the thing. Although, you know, it is worth noting that it could also be because the term thing was just how UFOs were described in Great Britain. Uh, Because I guess like early British articles describing UFOs used the word thing quite a bit. So maybe just a uh, cultural difference there. I seen the flying thing the other night. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's like you think of uh, of Great Britain and like the British accent as being like so proper, and over here they're like, yeah, I saw a flying saucer. See, a flying saucer across the sky. Where over there they're just like, yeah, so the thing. <laughs> like, why is that? 
sort of bloody thing in the sky. <laughs> the, the thing over there. <laughs> I'm eating my tea and pretty good. my tea and crumpets. I see a thing flying over. <laughs> I'm out eating some bangers and mash. I see the fucking thing flying over. I don't know what it was. <laughs> bangers and mash. Maybe this is like a um. Maybe that's like okay. So that's actually kind of interesting. Like think about over here. And we're always talking about these odd UFO cases and shit like the Flatwoods Monster. And it's always happening in like far off rural towns. And then you look at rural parts of Britain. I guess that would fit the bill because it's guys like, uh, what is Brad Pitt's character? Like a gypsy in the um, Snatch, you know, where you can like not even understand him. Or he's like Cockney. Isn't that the accent where they're just like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's, hey, it, it's it's like Alfred, Alfred from Batman. Well, Alfred, I think, is more proper. The Cockney people are like, "What are you doing over there, mate?" And you like can't understand a fucking word they're saying. You know? Yeah, dude, they talk so fast. It's like, what do you? It's like they're speaking another language. Right, man. right. Um, so maybe that's what we got going on here. Um. Now, there is some debate on the official date with which the Warminster phenomenon started. Now, we'll say 1964, as that is when the canonical events began, Uh, you know, because there are other earlier sightings and strange happenings around this area, but it's pretty unclear if they're related to the thing or not. Uh, You know, like we said on our Stonehenge episode, the surrounding areas or Wiltshire, Salisbury Plain, those types of places have a ton of UFO reports over the years. Now, they aren't necessarily all linked, or maybe they are. Now, odd sightings and sounds were reported here and there around Warminster going back as far as the 1930s. So, you know, these predate the Second World War, uh, as well as the popularity of the modern science fiction genre. Now, if we take a look if we take this into consideration, uh, these bizarre encounters around Warminster seem to predate the rest of the world's USO cra- UFO craze by several decades. Um, because, you know, that's, that's well before the golden era of UFOs, like 50s and 60s and shit. Now, some reports come in just before World War II describing unexplainable crackling noises like static electricity heard from a cloudless, sun-filled sky. Um, even some reported strange balls of light, similar to Foo Fighters of World War II, you know, kicked off the whole phenomenon if we want to get technical, uh, which we have also covered in depth. Episode 27, if you'd like to check that one out. Now, November 1961, so about three years before the canonical events, uh, four witnesses near Warminster saw a UFO leaving, quote, a trail of sparks, mate. <laughs> now, as we said, for purposes of this podcast, we'll go ahead and use the agreed upon date of the Warminster phenomenon, which is Christmas Day, 1964. Now, let me set the scene here for you guys. Um, Do they call it that over there? I thought they call it something else. Christmas Day? Yeah. Well, they they call... Don't they have Father Christmas instead of Santa? Father Christmas. Father Christmas isn't being very nice to me. <laughs> you know the video. <laughs> I punch his beard off. Father Christmas. I punch his beard off. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, the, had one too many pints. Yeah, I think they call. I don't. I don't even think they have Santa. It's just Father Christmas. I thought it's called like Boxing Day or something. I think that's after Christmas. Okay. Hey, UK listeners, let us know podcast from outer space at gmail.com. What's the deal with Christmas over there? Um, what do you call it? What's the celebrations like? Uh, maybe that's bad research on my part before looking into this episode. But that's we besides the point. So let, let me let me set the scene here. Now, Warminster is described as a quaint small town. Uh, following World War II, the town had a population just shy of 10,000 residents. Uh, now, the population continued to slowly grow, and since the 1960s, the population has nearly doubled. Uh, but the region remains relatively quiet, similar to any typical English suburb. Now, the year is 1964. Uh, the Beatles made their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, performing to a record-busting audience of 73 million viewers. Diet Pepsi, Lucky Charms, and Pop-Tarts are all introduced to the market. Uh, the Palestine Liberation Organization was officially formed. U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to prohibit segregation in public places. Tensions in Vietnam escalated drastically with the Gulf of Tonkin incident. China detonated its first nuclear weapon. And the first test flight of the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird took place in Palmdale, California. Hell yeah. Now on Christmas Day, 1964, in the town of Warminster, a one Miss Mildred Head was jolted awake at 1.25 a.m., as she reported, quote, Our ceiling came alive with strange sounds that lashed out of our roof. Now, she says the sounds were as if twigs or leaves were being dragged across her roof and then changed to a noise like giant hailstones. Now, of course, she hops up to look out the window. Away to the window, she flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. And to what to her wondering eyes should appear? was a Westminster thing and they're fucking flying through the air. <laughs> well, that's good, but apparently the night was clear and she doesn't report anything visible from what she could see. Uh, but she did make out a strange humming sound, which got louder before fading away to a faint whisper and then a low whistling or wheezing. Sounds like a damn ghost. <laughs> okay, well, thing. Ghost of Christmas past, dude. Well, possibly. A lot of Christmas connections we could make in this one. Now she hanging out with Scrooge? <laughs> maybe. Maybe she was the female. Maybe she's yelling out her window, bah humbah, bah humbug, to all the fucking uh, neighborhood kids. Now- The carolers are out there. She's saying, get the fuck off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Now, later, <laughs> that very same Christmas morning, 1964, over 30 soldiers at Nook Camp Army Base, which is about four miles from Warminster, were awoken suddenly by a loud noise, very similar to the one heard by Miss Head. A sergeant at the Army Base reported that the sound was similar to a huge chimney being ripped from a roof and then being scattered into pieces across the whole camp. Now, the guards at the base were alerted, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary aside from the strange sound. 
Now, at 6.12 a.m., still Christmas morning, Warminster was dark and the roads were silent as Miss Majorie By was walking to the Holy Communion service at Christ Church in town. As she was approaching the church, she reported a menacing sound as if it was coming from all around her. All of the sudden, intense vibrations came from overhead, stopping her in her tracks. Before she could reach the safety of the church walls, shockwaves of violent force pounded at her head, neck, and shoulders and seemed to numb her. She said she felt helpless and described it as being, quote, pinned down by invisible fingers of sound, end quote. Uh, Wailing, whining, and droning, the noise shocked her to her core and made it difficult for her to even reach the safety of the church walls. At nearly the same time that Miss Bai was being molested by this sound, Roger Rump, head postmaster in Warminster, and his wife heard noises almost identical to those just described. His house was not far from Christ Church, and he described the noise as, quote, A terrific clatter, as though the roof tiles were being rattled about and plucked off by some tremendous force. Then came a scrambling sound as if they were being loudly slammed back into place. I could hear an odd humming tone. It was most unusual, and it lasted no more than a minute. Now, these four events basically make up the crux of this phenomenon. This is where it all seemed to start, um, all witnessed in one case by as many 30 as 30 individuals on that Christmas morning. Now, as we said earlier, not one UFO was seen. Now, these unidentified sounds would continue on and off basically randomly from late 1964 until at least June of 1966. Um, Other strange things also continued to happen in Warminster as well. An entire flock of pigeons was reported to have suddenly died. Um... Now, this is, again, where we get maybe some fuckery, some tomfoolery with the reporting, uh, because other reports place this event earlier than Christmas of 1964. Uh, David Halton, he reported that the flock of pigeons appeared to have been killed by the sounds on April 11th, 1964. Hell of a day. Yes, uh, that is my birthday. Um, Now, (laughs) not 1964, but, you know. Um, now, now others place the event as occurring in February of 1965 or April of 1965. So there is some confusion with this reporting. Um, but in all three descriptions of the events, the pigeons were killed at five Ash Lane. So I guess there is some consistency. Now, I was also reading from one source that this David Holton guy was maybe a bit of a, uh, prankster a bit of a fraudster maybe and possibly started this as just a rumor to get the town fired up you know sounds like he would be (laughs) yeah um now fast forward march 1965 we get more reports of strange noises in the area now one of the more vivid accounts comes from eric payne who says that at 11 p.m. on the 28th of March, 1965, he was walking down a dark, quiet country road, littered with a layer of fog 
when he heard a sound that he described as wind wisping through telegraph wires. Now, the sound grew more and more intense, and soon he describes being pushed and held down by, quote, a tremendous racket, like a gigantic tin can with huge nuts and bolts inside of it rattling over your head. Now, this sound continued and morphed into a shrill whining and buzzing, which, quote, nearly drove me fucking mad. (laughs) Now, he reports that his head was pushed from side to side and he could not stop this tremendous downward pressure. He crawled around in the road for a bit and then sank to his knees at the edge of the grass. Now, again, maybe some fuckery as this event is reported in an article by Shuttlewood in the Warminster Journal in December of 1965 as happening in 1964. Now, other sources report this phenomenon as happening early in January of 1965. So again, we got a little inconsistency with some of the reporting, really just the dates. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys make of of these little inconsistencies? I think it's pretty important to consider when, you know, because... For example, you mentioned that there were 30 people that witnessed that had, you know, accounts of of hearing these sounds um, on Christmas Day, 1964. How how soon after they witnessed these events were they reported? Okay, were they reported okay. a year after? Were they reported the next day? Yeah, and I see, mean, I think that is where some of the fuckery comes in because, like we said, if Shuttlewood is the one collecting all this stuff. Obviously, he's not going around the town in one day, and he's kind of waiting for people to come to in. So, yeah, maybe some of these reports came in years later. I do think that um, those initial reports like weren't discovered or weren't like they didn't make that connection until like he started compiling all this information. If that makes and, sense, yeah. It could also be like one of those uh, like lost in translation type things, you know, like. Maybe the guy told him one date, he writes down a different date type shit. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they were like gypsies living in a trailer, so he can't understand a fucking word they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the... Uh, like, the yeah, I think he said 64. Who the fuck knows? 65? Who cares? Yeah. It's like Tyson Fury out there, the gypsy king. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, as this phenomena event happening, whatever you want to call it, continued... The strange noise would eventually go on to become a fully visual phenomena. In other words, the Warminster thing became a genuine, bona fide UFO. Dun, dun, dun. So May of 1965. Uh, the first UFO sighting recorded in the Warminster mystery was around May 19th, 1965. Uh, this was from Hilda... Hebdige. Hilda Hebdige informed Arthur Shuttlewood that three times during that week, she saw unusual objects in the sky. Now, she first reported these to the Fleet Street UFO group. Great fucking name for a group. Um, (laughs) now, Now, they eventually passed the information on to Shuttlewood, and she reported the UFO as being cigar shaped and covered in bright blinking lights that were various shades of gold and yellow and most vivid. Now, the UFOs were stationary, 
with no beams or rays, and made no noise. They appeared to be high up in the sky and gradually faded as she watched them. The next month, on the 3rd of June, Patricia Phillips phoned Arthur Shuttlewood to describe a brightly glowing cigar-shaped object that remained motionless over the southern part of Warminster for almost half an hour. Now, this was also seen by Miss Phillips' husband, their three children, and a visitor who was staying with them. Another description around this same time was reported by Warminster residents Mr. and Miss Harlock, who described a UFO they'd seen as, quote, twin red-hot pokers hanging downwards, one on top of the other, with a black space in between, end quote. Um, now, this version was also seen by 17 people swimming and fishing at Shearwater, which is a lake two miles southwest of Warminster. Uh, one of the Shearwater witnesses told Shuttlewood, quote, It was obviously huge, but very high up. Uh, now, Shuttlewood does note in his book that these reports came in before any news of the sightings had been published in the papers or anything like that. Um, so, you know, that is an interesting note there. Now, on the 19th of June, Kathleen Penton claims that she saw a shining thing going along sideways in the sky from left to right. It glided overhead quite slowly and report and she reports porthole type windows along the whole length of it saying quote to my eye it was co- it was the size of a whole bedroom wall enormous these windows were lit up the color of yellow flames in a coal fire it was very much like a train carriage with rounded ends to it and it did not travel lengthways but was gently gliding sideways Cheerio, mate. So I went fucking Australian there for a minute. Yeah, maybe. Uh, still good though. Now, so now we're deep into June, and Warminster residents are seeing all sorts of unidentified objects flying through the skies above the town. Uh, now, August. Now we get to August 1965. Um, so now we've got sightings, and although most of them are reported that the objects were silent as people saw them, you know. The original strange sound still continued to be heard. Now, by August 1965, it is claimed that at least 49 witnesses had reported hearing the strange sounds. And on the 10th of August 1965 came confirmation that the sounds might be connected to these objects being seen in the skies. At 3.45 a.m. on August 10th, Rachel Atwill was awoken by a terrible droning sound. She said, quote, It made the bed and floor shake. Now, upon looking out her window, about 200 yards above a range of hills, she spotted a bright object like a massive star. She claims to have never believed in flying saucer stories, but couldn't describe it as anything else, saying it was domed on top and huge in size an unweaking light of uncanny brilliance. It hung there in all its glory, and the sight of it did not frighten her, but the awful noise it made did. Now, despite the noise, which with the sighting lasted uh, for some 25 minutes, not one of her neighbors saw or heard anything. Uh, Now, the humming began to fade out, 
and the UFO started to flicker. The noise finally stopped, and the object vanished from sight. She also said it was as if there was a tight band of steel around her forehead towards the end, a pounding and a hammering in her eardrums. Mm. Now, as with the, so this is like similar to the reports from earlier in the year, the noise seems to be the most disturbing aspect of this phenomenon. You know, we got, I, yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we got rogue noises, pinning people down, vibrating in their heads. This is like, uh, hitting them many, many times with a hammer. (laughs) Yeah. This is fucking crazy. Yeah. That would be terrifying if that happened. Um, That'd be way scarier than just seeing a UFO. Like, I don't know, in my opinion, you look up, you see a craft. It's like, oh, wow, a UFO. But if it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, UFO, <laughs> don't man. give a fuck. No deal. <laughs> yeah, but if, yeah, but if it's like it, it, it sounds like there are hammer and nails going on in your head and there's like a force, like an audible force, like pushing you to the ground. Right. That, right. That, that'd be really scary. Pretty freaky. That's right. Intense, mate. <laughs> Terrifying. Spilled me tea about. Spilled me tea about the road. Uh, now, uh, one of the most visually spectacular sightings accompanied by sound took place on August 17th, 1965. So first, a detonation rocked several houses on the Borham Field housing estate on the southeast edge of town. Now, resident Walter Curtis described, quote, a huge blast, a whole series of jolts and explosions were felt underfoot. The biggest explosion I've ever heard. Now his wife added, quote, It was as though the gas mine right opposite us had blown it with a tremendous roar. Now David Pinel, after hearing the explosion, ran outside and spotted a monstrous orange flame in the sky. He says it was shaped like an electric bulb, illuminating the hills in the background. And as the light faded, he could make out a great ball of smoke with a funny yellow core floating down from the hills, crackling and hissing as it touched the grass and trees. Now, Percy Westinghall described the explosion as, quote, One hell of a bang. Now, he compared it to the sound of a building being demolished. His wife also mentioned that minor quakes seemed to follow the explosion. Now, one more witness who is unnamed described the ball of smoke as having a golden heart, very large and shining, as the smoke settled in the road and gradually dispersed in straggling wisps, the fiery center seemed to burn out as well. Now, two houses had some windows broken, but this was the extent of the damage caused by whatever this explosion was. Now, looking for possible causes of the explosion, Arthur Shuttlewood spoke to officials at the nearby School of Infantry and Battlesbury Barracks, as well as local airfields. However, all denied responsibility. Uh, Now, there are some theories on this that we can get into later. Um, And there are some theories such as thunderbolts or perhaps meteorites that were put forward at the time. However, Shuttlewood says these would be highly improbable. Now, I mean, do we agree there or or what are we thinking? Could be a lucky meteor. That's my lucky meteor. Well, he's (laughs) lucky meteor, man. (laughs) Now, 
Earlier, you mentioned you said it looked like a monstrous orange flame in the sky, illuminating the hills, fading into a great pall of smoke. I mean, that kind of sounds like it could be a meteorite crashing into the into the earth. Okay, but again, I don't think that do. Uh, I don't think meteorites float, or maybe this was just some visual effect. If it was like far off, coming into the atmosphere or something. Yeah, maybe. I've never heard of a. I've never heard of a meteorite causing like that much sound and damage though. I feel like it's just like a quick like like into the ground type shit. I mean like obviously if it hit your house or something, that's a different story, but Okay. I feel like I don't know. Possibly, but I would say I agree with the highly unlikely. Now how about a thunderbolt? No. (laughs) Okay. Doesn't one hell of a thunderbolt. Yeah, it doesn't sound like any thunderbolt I've ever heard. One hell um, of a bang, mate. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> now in his book, The Warminster Mystery, Shuttlewood also reports that tangled pieces of a white, lightweight, and brittle metal were found at the Battlesbury site. Um, however, this does seem to throw a wrench in the gears here. So I was doing some firsthand research, and I'm mapping out uh, the town of Warminster, Battlesbury Barracks, uh, and then this Boreham Field Estate place. Um, and you can see this map here that I, I uh, created, and maybe I'll post this on the Instagram. Um, essentially, the Boreham Field Estate is is um, two miles, maybe by driving, maybe one mile by uh, way the crow flies, like in a straight line, because I guess there's some hills separating this this stuff but you know did the explosion take place near the boreham field estate or near battlesbury barracks um like we said it's, it's on a large hill about a mile north of uh boreham field estate now if the explosion took place near the barracks um why were the windows of the army barracks not blown out um like, wouldn't it have, a, if he found the bits of uh, the metal over there, wouldn't that have meant that it's like much closer to the blast? Possibly. They got bulletproof, bulletproof glass mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, army base. I was thinking of that, you know, an army base. It's got to be made. It's like fortified, right? I mean, you'd think. You'd think so. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now, now, surprisingly, Shuttlewood also notes that no mention of this appears in the local papers at the time. Uh, so that by this time, late summer, uh, these unusual events begin to receive national attention. And thousands of people flock to Warminster hoping to get a glimpse of the thing. Over the August bank holiday of 1965, an estimated 8,000 people visited the small town. Now, amongst the visitors were members of Bufara, the, the British Boop. UFO. They boofing people out there? <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> British UFO Research Association. I mean, Bufara. I would say the acronym that way, right? Bufara. Bufora. It's the official acronym. All right. They're out there boofing up the, uh, they're boofing people <laughs> left and right. Um, and they had officially launched just a year prior in 1964. So you got UFO, you also had the Fleet Street UFO group, you know? So it's no secret. UFO um, sleuths 
they're all over the town, you know? Might see the GSC out there. (laughs) Now, the following month, resident Gordon Faulkner claimed to have captured a photo of the UFO, which he sold to the UK tabloid The Daily Mirror. Now, this gained even more publicity for Warminster, and by then the news had been made and by then the news had even made its way stateside with papers as far as California reporting on the strange events in the small British town. Now I was looking up this photo, which I guess some accounts say is possibly a hoax. Um, and I'll be honest, the photo looks like dog shit, you know, like as they do, (laughs) this could be though. (laughs) I mean, this typical, this is insane. Like I've definitely seen better UFO photos. Again, I'll put this on the Instagram. This looks like, I mean, this is, this is 64 though. We're talking. So yeah, but still they got working cameras. Then I've seen better sixties photos. This is like a fucking, this could very well be a smudge on the lens. This is the daily mirror, dude. Come on. (laughs) UK tabloid. This is like bat child found in cave, you know? It's like that kind of uh, paper, I think. Um, Now, yes. It sounds fucking badass. (laughs) What's that? It sounds badass. The Daily Mirror. Yeah, Daily Mirror, Black Mirror, dude. Yeah. British people love mirrors. They do. Um, Now, now, as we just saw, from basically May of 1965 onward, the thing became a predominantly visual phenomenon, as most of the reports were of UFO sightings. Um, although we do, and although we do have tons of people reporting the sightings, there are discrepancies in the reports, you know, colors reported by the groups of witnesses, the shape of the UFO, uh, and we'll get more, a bit more into this later, but smudge on the lens. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's no secret. We saw the one guy's describing it as two hot fire pokers, whatever the fuck that looks like. Yeah, with black in the middle. Weird description. But <laughs> Other okay. people are describing cigar-shaped craft. Then we got this photo that looks like a goddamn classic um, pie tin UFO. Classic Bufera. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, throughout 1965 and for the first half of 1966, the noises did continue to be reported. And really, it is the sounds that are the biggest mystery with this one. Um, because you know, with all of the sighting reports, those are basically not, there's nothing really that stands out from any earlier UFO sightings at the time, you know, by 1965, there were reports of cigar shaped craft and saucers. Those had taken place before both in Britain and the U S so, you know, there's nothing really new there, but the strange sounds I think there's 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 something to that. That's really where the weird, strange phenomenon comes into play. Before we like got off the topic, I was just gonna say, do you think it's just that classic case of like the same thing that we saw with Roswell, where as soon as one person starts reporting on this, everyone all of a sudden is seeing these UFOs all over the place because they want like their fifteen minutes, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, we can expand on that a bit. I had that is one of the uh, one of the theories we've got here in just a bit. Um, now, aside from the sounds, what specifically stood out in the Warminster phenomenon was the number of sightings, as well as the fact that the entire town seemed to be caught up in the events. 
Uh, you know, I was looking it up. In fact, it said that uh, many residents seem to embrace Warminster's new reputation as Britain's top hotspot for UFOs. Shop owners began to sell alien merchandise, and someone even opened up a UFO-themed bed and breakfast. Hell yeah, let's go. Well, I don't think it's open anymore because I was trying to look it up. Uh, <laughs> let's go reopen it. <laughs> okay, yeah. We'll just move to Warminster and open a UFO yeah. bed and breakfast. Uh, I'm down. I'll cook. This kind of reminds <laughs> me of Roswell, New Mexico here in the U.S. You know, you've got this tiny desert town whose economy is primarily aliens. That's literally the whole, that's all that's going on in that town. <laughs> right, right. From first hand experience. Maybe Warminster is kind of the same thing. All these shop owners are like, hey, start selling some alien stuff in our shop, mate. Got to cash in on the thing, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, as we said up top, this phenomenon also had another focal point. And that was that all the information flowed through Arthur Shuttlewood. So he had built up a reputation as a respected local journo. Uh, and he was really the driving force in reporting and bringing media attention to the thing. So it's like we said up top, it was to Arthur Shuttlewood that many, if not all, of the UFO, of the reports of UFO sightings were made. And it was through him that these sightings were then spread to the public. So again, something to keep in mind there. He's now, like the know-all be-all of the thing. Yeah, he's, he's really like the molder of this whole investigation. Um, now, by early 1970s, sightings of the Warminster thing began to decline, as did the number of stargazers, UFO heads, and alien freaks that once had visited the town in hopes to catch a glimpse of the thing. Now, soon, interest in the Warminster thing disappeared altogether. And over the years, theories have been put forward as to what the thing could have been. But to this day, there is no one solid theory that offers a concrete explanation as to what this was. Now, I believe after doing this research, likely a combination of things going on, as we'll see here in a bit. Um, but... Let's let's get into it. Let's get into some of the theories. Um, now, again, I pulled sort of the top theories that could kind of explain this this stuff. And uh, one of the first one I came across was, like we were saying on the Stonehenge episode, uh, perhaps it's because this town, I guess, is on a ley line or or runs through a ley line. I don't uh, I don't know. I mean. I kind of looked into it a bit, but I don't really, I think Rob is, as being our, um, our de facto energy crystal guy. Do you have, I guess, a good reading on ley lines? What do we got? Let's break down what a ley line is and how this could play into the theory. All right. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with ley lines, they are similar to longitude latitude lines in that they are imaginary lines that lay out the energy lines of the earth now where these lines intersect each other happen to be which happen to be what many would consider some of the most spiritual places on earth the list includes mount shasta which if you go way back to episode 14 and check that out we did an episode on that 
uh, Sedona, Arizona, which um, also for you guys that are unfamiliar is like one of the like hot spots in the world for like hot springs and healing meditation, that type of thing. Lots of crystals. Um, I think we yeah, did. It's like, didn't we cover that on like Skinwalker Ranch? We got into Sedona or Bradshaw yeah, Ranch a, or something. A, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Crystal energy. Machu Picchu, Stonehenge, the Bermuda Triangle, which we covered on episode 78, if you'd like to check that out. Jerusalem, Tibet, Mount Fuji, Bali, the island of Maui in Hawaii, and the Tulum ruins in Mexico, amongst many others. Uh, So I don't know if any of you guys have been to any of these places or are familiar i'm i mean i'm sure you guys are familiar with most of those spots correct yeah i mean isn't it kind of uh it's basically like any fucking ancient mysterious place right uh yeah like easter island as well is on the list um but have have any of you guys i mean like obviously last episode we talked about how ryan went to stonehenge but other than that have you guys been to any of the places on that list sedona and and if so would you say you noticed any kind of difference in like the energy the vibe the atmosphere of the area uh i think people are kind of dickheads in sedona (laughs) (laughs) is that really is is that the only spot besides stonehenge that you've been uh well i guess i've been through the bermuda triangle right i guess i mean i've been to the caribbean a few times gotta Take fly right shit down there. to the caribbean um but yeah i've been to the caribbean too i mean i've been to maui I'm i'm from hawaii so that's a given tulum ruins in mexico been there i believe yeah i've been there too i and i mean i was just gonna say like definitely i mean maybe it was just like the whole vibe of being down there in mexico on vacation but i think there's like definitely a a a different energy of that whole area i mean maybe because of like the heaviness of like what the ruins were used for maybe that plays into it but i mean i think all of these places definitely have like a there's like something to those places, you know, like there has to be a reason why they were put where they were, you know? Okay. All right. All right. So you're in on the energy stuff. Well, I'll continue. Now I know, <laughs> I know not all of the loyal Legion or hell, even if you guys are believers in the spiritual realm in terms of crystals, energies, chakras, etc. But your boy was once a skeptic as well. And it's no secret that for millions of years, people have turned to the healing power of stones, natural and holistic medicines, and flocked to these aforementioned areas, whether it be for entertainment, healing, a spiritual journey, or enlightenment. Personally, I believe that there is no coincidence, and while to this day researchers and scientists are trying to prove that ley lines are in fact a real thing, I think that the ancient elders were wise beyond their years and did know that these specific areas had these types of healing powers, even if the at the time they didn't understand the connection that all of them had. Because I think how we talked last episode about how Stonehenge may have like predated the pyramids a little bit, which may have predated Machu Picchu and like the Tulum ruins. But I mean, I think that 
even getting into like i mean not to just like go back and fucking jerk off stonehenge but uh i think that how we talked about like they wanted those specific stones to be at that specific site it's like if you break down each individual thing like even the pyramids like they used a certain type of stone so it's like all these people brought specific stones to these specific areas and whether it was like healing sacrifices to the gods or just like a spiritual place for connection each spot was designated for like a certain reason so i think that i would like to believe that these are real things i mean obviously it's unproven but it's just there's no fucking way that it's like that big of a coincidence that all these places just happen to be on this because it's like it's not a thing that just some guy just drew a map and like fucking put it through all these spiritual places you know i I think it is just that you think that's what it is well okay now correct me if i'm wrong here i don't know uh what your source is for the energy stuff but like, were you on, like, crystals of crystals.com or something? Crystals.com, <laughs> Okay, yeah. so because I'm looking this stuff up, trying to wrap my head around these ley lines, because I know we've, we've kind of dabbled on this many times on episodes, and maybe we could do a whole ley lines episode. I mean, this is bad research on my part, but I don't remember the exact website, but it was for, uh, a website that was out of Bali, so... Oh, so you're looking at one of those like um, Love Has One websites. Have you guys seen that Mother God documentary on HBO? I yet? have not watched it. I, no. I, I, I'm interested in it. Oh, my God, dude. This thing haunted my dreams, dude. This lady started this cult all about. They were into this type of shit, I think. And they were drinking silver, she, is, turned her blue. Is this the, and then she died of alcoholism. It's fucking crazy, dude. Watch the documentary. Is this the lady that said that she was inhabited by Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She said Robin Williams like spoke through her or yeah. some shit. It's crazy, dude. Watch the documentary. Um, but. Okay, so you were maybe on one of those types of websites. I'm looking this stuff up, just trying to get a basic level understanding. And I think, isn't this some like spiritual, like quasi-religious idea that kind of focused on somebody kind of spins it as like, oh, these ancient peoples believed all this stuff about the earth because they were pagan. And then... I I believe I think it truly was like one gentleman just drew straight lines between like ancient historical sites like we said Stonehenge the pyramids Machu Picchu Chichen Itza and just kind of said these are are lines that point out where I guess like earth energies are and then some people even say they could serve as like guides for alien spacecraft the ley lines I mean that that is a theory that they're like hot spots like energy sources and like landing zones for ufos i don't know if i believe that but i definitely do think that like there are higher level frequencies of energies in certain places okay okay well apparently archaeologists and scientists the mainstream or as some would say fake stream scientists regard ley lines as an example of pseudo archaeology and pseudoscience so are you going against 
Are you against science, dude? I'm not against science. Is this the fake dude, stream. I'm just saying the fake stream media. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just. I mean, like, yeah, you you could you could say it's all bullshit, and that some guy just fucking mapped it out to like match up with these places. But I mean, if you look at some of them, like the fucking Bermuda Triangle is out in the middle of the ocean, and then there's like another one off the coast of like South Africa. So it's like there's there's nothing really there, but. Maybe that is well, like a another hot spot that we just don't know about because it's out in the middle of the fucking ocean. Well, let me ask you a question, okay. Rob, because I wanted to get your opinion about this aspect of the ley lines. This okay. energy source. What's the source of the energy? I can take that one, Bill. It would be the liquid hot magma within all the, all the, the magma core. at the core of the yeah. earth oh yeah okay <laughs> right wouldn't it be lava that these are fucking lava dudes i mean here, yeah dude. but like okay so lava but there's molten rock underneath the entirety of the earth's crust if you go down deep enough yeah but where it bubbles up is where these ley lines are oh yeah, no, I'm kidding. I actually just made that stuff up, <laughs> I thought Rob. You, you legitimately that one. I thought you were legitimate, Ryan. No, nah, yeah. I was just I was thinking like in terms of like Stonehenge, for example. They wanted those like specific stones in that area. Why why did they pick that area? I don't know. But I think that whoever designed and developed these like the pyramids machu picchu the aliens all- let's call it what mm-hmm. let's call it spade a spade mm-hmm. it was the aliens so well, yeah if you want to believe that <laughs> then i mean maybe the aliens had it mapped out before us and they were like all right we got to set up these little bases all over the fucking planet so we can pop in and out of there okay leyline alien base i don't i don't s- particularly subscribe to that idea but i think that maybe there there are these like higher frequency areas that people recognize back in the day and then they were like hey like it has to be on this place or like if you i mean i know we're not like big fans of the bible here but if you want to go back to like moses and the burning bush or like hey hey Speak for yourself. I am a huge Bible okay. fan, dude. I love those okay. stories. But I'm saying, like, there's, there's, throughout history, there's specific stories like that where, like, God speaks to people. And, you know, back in the day, maybe there was, like, some different frequency in the area. And they were like, yo, we got to build this fucking temple here. Like, this is the place. And, okay, okay. Something yeah. that just. Something like higher than them came to them, or, or it was aliens. Well, okay. How about aliens, religion, Earth energies, all connected? Got to be. Could be. That's the holy trifecta. Could be. I just think. (laughs) I think that the aliens thing is kind of a cop out, though, because it's like everyone just wants to believe that. Oh, there's no way that these ancient people could have done this. Okay. And it's like, dude, it was happening all over the world. So, like, obviously, like, you think there's, like, thousands of aliens just, like, helping us build shit, and then they just fucking vanished for the past 2,000 years? Well, they go back to space, dude. Remember, Merlin created the aircraft carriers. He magically conjured aircraft carriers, bro. <laughs> aircraft carriers. Merlin and the aircraft yeah. carrier. Haven't you heard that Arthurian legend? <laughs> yeah, dude. 
It's in the history books. Merlin and the USS Ronald Reagan. Isn't, um, <laughs> isn't, okay, I would like to go on record and say, aliens, if you're listening, I, I have faith in you guys. I'm not discrediting your amazing work here on Earth. So when you do launch the full-scale invasion, beam me up with you, you know? <laughs> You're make sure it's aliens, attached dude. to the ley lines and we'll, we'll be good you know simp into the aliens dude unreal okay okay um all right we want to move on is there anything we want to add on ley lines i think we've uh beat off the dead horse there yeah yeah he's he's pretty much dry <laughs> <laughs> all right all right, let's let's get into this next theory. So this is again one of the I guess stronger ones. Um military testing. Now, we've got into this a fair amount on our Alien Summer episodes, and uh obviously we've discussed this angle on several past UFO episodes. Uh but some people theorize that the UFO phenomenon as a whole was a product of the Cold War paranoia you know, rife with misidentified technology, disinformation campaigns, psyops, government secrecy. I mean, you guys know the spiel, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard it all before. Right. We've heard it before. It's no secret. Now, so due to this, some speculate that most of the Warminster occurrences could be chalked up to military testing or training. Like we just said, perhaps these sightings and sounds were as simple as mistaken military craft or tech. Um, you know, we had the Battlesbury Barracks, uh, where one of the noises were was heard by over 30 troops. Uh, could be a likely culprit, um, but play a devil's advocate there. The barracks, uh, this barracks was an army infantry base. So how likely is it that they would be experimenting with any type of aircraft? Just what they want you to think. I don't think so. Right? I mean, what are we thinking? Yeah, that, that's weird. But also, this kind of made me tie back to current events. The 2016 New York Times article where they're talking about the, uh, you know, David Fravor, I think, was it 2002 or 2003 when he encountered the UAP? Um, on one of his uh, flights. 2004. 2004. Tic-tac, right? Yeah, the tic-tac. Tic-tac. And um, right. it, it's one of those things where even now, that is a theory, right? Whatever that people are experiencing, particularly our you know, servicemen and women in uniform operating that are encountering these, these craft, it could be Military, secret military black projects, secret testing. The interesting part, and to tie it back to the Battlesbury barracks, are these 30 troops that were just, you know, at the barracks doing their thing. If, in fact, the government was conducting experiment, you know, experimentation craft and whatnot in the skies above the barracks, I don't understand why they can't just disclose that to, to, to our service men and women who are out there operating or just hanging out at a barrack at a base and be like, "Hey, we're going to up up your, you know, up you to a top secret SCI clearance. This is a need to know basis. We're going to be testing these crafts." You dude, know what I mean? These are chain of command, dude. These are the fucking grunts. They're shoving them in this barracks, feeding them saltpeter so that they're not jerking off. And you think they're going to tell them about some experimental craft? Fuck no, dude. The military is, like you said, 
need to know basis, dude. I, I know it's under wraps and stuff, but I think that's a discrepancy. Yeah, if they're flying it over your barracks. Because if in fact it, it if in fact these are experimentate, you know, like actual technology that we're reverse engineering or developing or whatever the case is, quote unquote, we don't understand the physics. You know, contemporary physics does not understand the way these crafts operate and maneuver. Like, I get it. Like, you don't want to talk about things out in the public sphere because we don't want to get, we don't want to have our adversaries like China and Russia hearing about this technology, stealing it, adopting, you know, adopting into their own, into their own arms and whatnot. But can you, can you at least kind of give your people a heads up that it's happening if in case it is (laughs) happening? Yeah, just a heads up, guys. Uh, I'll just ignore any sounds you hear. Any craft and sounds tonight. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's 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 not aliens, you know. But we're not going to tell you what it is. It's not aliens, though. Yeah. Um. Now, okay. Let's let's unpack this a bit further because I I'm looking more into this angle. Now, Waterloo Lines is another military barracks and training facility which sits which sits just to the northeast of Warminster. Uh, so it is possible that some of the occurrence might have been military testing and, and training taking place here. Uh, basically, 30 minutes east of Warminster is a place called Boscombe Down. Uh, this is home to an aircraft test range, which is held in similar regard to Area 51, according to one blog I was reading. But I, after researching it further, I don't think it's quite that prestigious or secretive. It's just like a, a aircraft testing range. It was, uh, it was used to test and evaluate many aircraft flown by the British Armed Forces during the Cold War. Um, now, notable first flights of aircraft include the English Electric P-1, which was the uh, forerunner to the English Electric Lightning, the Fallen Gant. Uh, the Midge, the Hawker P1067, uh, the Westland Wavern, and the BAC TSR2. Now, I was looking at these, like a lot of them, I guess this was kind of early experimental, like jet aircraft type shit. So possibly, was this some jet noise? I mean, we all grew up in Virginia Beach where they're constantly d- running the jets. Um all through the night, it kind of sounds like these loud vibrations. And if this is the early years of jet technology, are people in the town really going to know what the fuck that is? That's a good point. Possibly some jet noise. It might be. Have you ever felt? Have you ever felt pinned down by the fucking noise of the <laughs> F fourteen flying overhead? Okay, though? Yes. That is true. I've never felt invisible fingers of sound pinning me down, mate. But also, <laughs> I think you have to take into consideration like how old are these people that were reporting it and like if you've never like encountered that type of noise before and you're like some fucking 80-year-old woman walking to church at 6 in the morning and you hear that, that's right. probably going to sh- make you shit your pants. Yeah. That's very shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You probably would describe it exactly. That is true. I never really d- did think of that. Um, and I don't know that, like, I was watching some of the actual interviews of people. None of them seem to be, like, in their 80s. I mean, maybe, you know, some in their 20s, some in their 40s, 50s. Um, I mean, but I was yeah, just- it's like you said, this is a new thing. So they're like, what the fuck is that? And they're, it's, 
They're like, it's ringing me ears, man. I was just trying to use an extreme example, but I mean, still, like, right. if you've never heard, like, like you said, we're all used to that kind of thing. But, like, if that wasn't the norm for you back then, and then all of a sudden a fucking jet, like, is low flying overhead, that's probably going to be like, Jesus fucking Christ. And, like, it's so fast, you're not going to see it if you weren't already looking up, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so now just 15 minutes southeast of Boscombe Down, there is a top secret military site called Porton Down. Now, this is a scientific and defense technology campus home to two British government facilities, including the Ministry of Defense's Defense Science and Technology Laboratory, known for over 100 years as one of the UK's most secretive and controversial military research facilities. Now, so I'm looking into this one a bit more because I think, okay, this is interesting. What could this be explained? Now, I don't know if this could explain any of the craft, but it is, we got some history here. Basically, this place kicked off in World War I looking into mustard gas, other types of chemical weapons, that type of shit. And by the time World War II ended, um, the Allies discovered all this German tech regarding nerve gas, like sarin gas and, and somen gas and that type of shit. And the Allies are like, holy fuck, we got to... We got to start researching this shit so that we can use it ourselves, you know, defend and and go on the offense with this type of nerve gas. Um, So they launched their own research into the newly discovered German nerve agents as a starting point. And eventually VX nerve gas was uh, VX nerve agent was developed at Porton Down in 1952. Um, So basically they're developing that while these sightings are going on and stuff and we do have the one um gentleman who described the hissing as the as the gas and the explosion kind of came down through the trees you know um so who the fuck knows if they're if they're gassing like that close to a town i mean i was i mean this is this actually could be a possibility because um, remember our like lab 257 and we've, we've got into shit on like operation paperclip and all the like unethical experiments and shit. So the nerve gas, they invent the nerve gas in 1952. Now this basically amounted to nothing because they, they decided to abandon this research altogether in favor of nuclear weapons. Um, but chemical tests were carried out on servicemen, um, to kind of see the effects of these nerve agents on human subjects. And there is one recorded death due to a nerve gas experiment. Mm. Now, there have there have been several allegations of unethical human experimentation going on at Porton Down. Uh, Porton Down was also the laboratory where the initial samples of the Ebola virus were sent in 1976, as the first confirmed outbreak of the disease popped up in Africa. The laboratory now contains samples of some of the world's most aggressive pathogens, including Ebola, anthrax, and the plague, and is leading the UK's current research into viral inoculations. So, you heard it here first, COVID-20 probably coming out of there soon. Probably being leaked out of that lab soon. Um, now, all of these facilities are in Wiltshire County. Um, which I th- I think it's the county. Um, now this also happens to be like we said on Stonehenge, the area in the UK for UFOs. 
Uh, and you know what sits between these sites, not perfectly center, but it's still right there between all of these locations is Stonehenge. So maybe something going on there. Um, ley lines, baby. And you know, I would, <laughs> yeah, ley lines are, they're building the, uh, their chemical research facilities on ley lines as well. Now, kind of unrelated, um, because it's much further away. It's about 20 miles north of um, of Warminster is RAF Rudlow, uh, which homes a top secret RAF defense network. Also, under the town next to Rudlow, which is Corsham, is said to uh, be a vast network of tunnels. Now, these tunnels were home to emergency bunkers for the prime minister and the entire UK government at one point. And Nick Pope, who was a former employee of the Ministry of Defense, where his duties included investigating reports of UFO sightings, also claims that these tunnels have housed UFOs in the past. So, I mean, what are we thinking here on the military angle, I guess? I can get with it. I mean, all these military installations are close to Warminster, Stonehenge. I mean, it's all close in proximity. Right you know, you got locations where they te- you know, have tested secret uh, defense technology, mess with nerve gas. And like, you know, to get to my point earlier about how <laughs> I'd love to see transparency <laughs> between <laughs> classified operations and your... Uh, your grunt, your average grunt, but um, that's never going to happen. So if they were to conduct experiments like this, people are going to have no idea and they're just going to assume it's something otherworldly. Yeah, they're going to use the grunts to test the nerve gas. One of them dies and they say, uh, fuck off, you know, MIA. Yeah, they just pull an MK, MK Ultra. Never heard of him. Yeah, here's a, here's a couple hundred thousand bucks. Now uh, go fuck, fuck yourself. Off. Yeah, exactly. We'll de- yeah, so, declassify it in 20 years and then no one will care. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, now, this is kind of like we were saying on our Arrow episode, I think. Um, you know, can the UFOs in the Warminster case be as explained away by secret military testing? Uh, you know, perhaps like some people are just are just mistaken. Like, oh, that was like we said, a, a jet airplane or something, which, you know, yes, that probably is the case for some of these. Absolutely. Or, and maybe this kind of goes along the lines of what you were talking about, Billy, is UFO activity heightened at these locations because that's what the aliens, the entities, um, whatever this is, they're interested in all this top secret shit. Uh, You know, for example, it's like the military presence is one of the reasons Warminster was chosen for visitation from whatever these things were. Exactly. Like, hey, let's, and it, let's make sure these idiots aren't bombing each other with nerve gas. Let's go check in on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just UFOs hovering above nuclear missile facilities like on on the right. west coast of the United States where you have bona fide and we've talked about this in previous episodes. You have bona fide military officers, uh credentialed, respected that are coming out saying, "Yep, some weird stuff just you know, hover, hovered around these facilities, completely shut them down for like minutes. Remember that? 
Yeah. So yeah, it could be something like that. Maybe that's what the aliens are interested in. Uh, and if we really want to get far out, perhaps we go even deeper. Maybe the ship being experimented with, fucked with at these these top secret locations is disturbing the very fabric of space-time, you know, causing rifts, tears, portals in the dimension, allowing these entities to be visible on our frequencies. And then you throw the ley lines theory on top of that. You have these high-energy places. The government's doing these crazy experiments into God knows what. And it's like we said, the the space-time continuum is getting fucking fucked with. And so these entities are, are, are poking their heads through. You know, I think this aligns with what's been coming out in the recent months about the phenomenon and how many speculated does have something to do with interdimensional activity, that type of shit. Uh, you know, if, fur- if furthermore, this could explain why the sightings and experiences of the Warminster thing vary from person to person. If these things are like, if these craft are poking their heads into our dimension from a totally unknown place, they could appear differently to different people or affect different people in different ways. I think uh, Jacques Vallée has like a whole theory on this. I mean, what are we thinking of that angle? The sort of like fucking with dimensions, that type of shit. If that is the case and they're doing these top secret experiments and we subscribe to the idea that the ley lines do exist and they're doing them right beside there, I mean, a plausible theory okay all right so we're kind of meshing the two together that that's kind of what i was getting at with it maybe being a combination uh you know if we want to get freaky deaky with it go into the (laughs) interdimensional stuff you know but the interdimensional theory is it's not anywhere near as far-fetched as extraterrestrials i mean because don't we, haven't we proven to a certain, well, not proven, but there's evidence to suggest a multiverse. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if in fact, if there are locations where inter- interdimensional beings or extraterrestrial beings, either, either or, uh, would want to come visit us, they're probably going to come visit us at our testing facilities for military weapons and nuclear weapons and all that all that stuff right 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 and it and then again i mean we could go in circles all day here like the chicken or the egg or is that so are they visiting the military sites because we're fucking with stuff or is us fucking with stuff causing them to pop through at those sites i would assume the latter Probably, I mean, and this is complete conjecture, but if they were to meddle with the human race or conduct experiments on the human race, which is another theory that we've spoken about before, maybe they're just trying to keep us in check, you know, just show us that they're around, that they're watching us, that they're, you know, surveying us or whatever. Because let's be honest, human beings are, we're kind of fucking crazy. We're idiots. We know this. But I'm thinking that. I think I kind of like the first idea that wherever there happens to be like nuclear testing or some crazy type of top secret craft going on, that seems to be like the hot spots for these UFO sightings. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand with this because you're saying there's all these test sites around there. 
and then also you we add in the ley line thing so not only is it like a higher energy frequency there but there's also this testing that we don't know what's going on so they're probably just popping by like the fuck we got going on over here mate okay okay so day the earth stood still theory you guys are gonna fuck it up for everyone this is why we can't have nice things okay all right um now the last one i got here um so could this all just be maybe some type of mass hysteria and i think rob you were alluding to this earlier um so there's also this book in alien heat colon the warminster mystery revisited uh, now, this is by a gentleman named Steve Dewey and John Rice. Uh, and I believe these guys grew up in the area and were younger when all this shit was going on. Um, but this book offers sort of an in-depth reinvestigation of the events in the mid-60s with the theory that this was essentially a UFO fever that gripped the town. You know, the town became caught up in the UFO craze of the era. You know, I got a fever. And they only cures more UFOs. Only cures seeing more things flying over. An alien put a UFO up my ass. (laughs) I wore this UFO up my ass for three years. Okay, Christopher Walken. (laughs) (laughs) It probed me in the ass. Um... Yeah, maybe this is uh, what are we thinking here? UFO fever? I mean, they say that. So basically, let me let me kind of get through the book's kind of, I guess, whole theory. Basically, they say the Warminster case, even though it's almost unknown outside of the UK, is an embarrassment to modern day ufologists. Uh, throughout the book, they're basically trying to objectively look at the incident and place it within its cultural and historical context. I mean, like we said, 60s, 50s, this was like the golden era of UFOs. Um, And I say, quote, the sky watchers made us skeptical because they would get so excited about things which were quite mundane. We began to think it was all in the UFO culture. Um, And, you know, we've seen this before, especially in conspiracy circles where like the deeper you go, the more conclusions you kind of jump to uh you know can't trust any official source while simultaneously believing in dubious or shaky accounts it's it's rife with fuckery tomfoolery it's a tale as old as time you know um now despite all of this the gentleman that wrote this book they do believe there is a genuine mystery behind what happened um, as this whole thing did start with a strange noise from the sky, and there have never been any conclusions or explanations as to what exactly that was. Um, you know, they seem to agree that some of the lights in the sky could be explained by military exercises on the near nearby Salisbury Plain, uh, but still other questions remain unanswered. Now, again, like we said, what makes the Warminster case stand out is the sheer volume of UFO sightings with thousands of witness accounts. Now, Steve and John say it's clear to them that the ufologists who visited Warminster in droves helped to create the saucer circus that they say ensued. Basically, you got all these ufologists, the Bufro guys, 
and the uh, saucer fleet, the Fleet Street saucer group. Um, they're basically saying, hey, these strange sounds, these sightings, these must be alien visitors or some type of spaceship. And so the population started to see these things. Isn't that the uh, Bader-Meinhof theory? Isn't that kind of the same thing? Similar, yeah. Like, isn't that like the more you think about something, you'll like see it? Kind of like the 23 Enigma? Yep. Right? Maybe we do an episode on that. Or like Bloody Mary. Right, right. You're kind of tricking your... Like we said, you stare in a mirror in a dark room, you're going to see some weird shit. Yeah. And if you're in that mindset... Yeah. Very similar to that. Dude, also 23 Enigma. What episode number is this? 123. <laughs> Case closed. Oh, connection? Coincidence? I think not. Um, now, on top of all this... Shuttlewood created the national media interest and would often embellish or exaggerate incidents according to these gentlemen. So, you know, kind of like we talk about all the time. It's like a big game of telephone. We've discussed this on many, many other episodes. Accounts are told, retold, written, copied, pieces added here, there. Before you know it, full-on saucer circus. Clown show. Clown show. <laughs> yeah. What are we thinking about this theory? I definitely think that there's relevance. I think there's probably some truth interwoven in in many of these accounts. I mean, because going back to the top, the town of Warminster is what, circa 10,000 population. So if you have a couple of thousand people reporting this stuff, that is a significant chunk of the population. So... right. You know that that's not a that's not an insignificant number, so I'm sure that there you know there and like we just talked about with the military facilities, maybe they were conducting exercises. People didn't understand the jet sounds, so I'm sure that they actually you know they they experienced a lot of this stuff. But we also have to remember that people can exaggerate as well. That happens all the time. You know they twist a story to make it more. Um, fantastical sensational sensational, you know because they want attention maybe maybe the sound didn't throw them to the ground and like you know pin them with sound barriers maybe it was just really loud and they didn't know what it was but it's cooler to say that they got pinned down by it um it makes a better story i was raped i I was raped by this sound (laughs) my i was just pushed to the ground pushed to the ground couldn't move i didn't know what happened But I did penetrate um, me on the ground in the grass. (laughs) Yeah. Rip me panties off. (laughs) About rip me panties off with that sound. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not going to completely discredit a lot of these witnesses. I do believe they experienced something they didn't understand. But also, at the same time, when we talk about the game of telephone, and this happens frequently throughout UFO lore, you know, it's like... Once the UFO freaks come to a location, then they just rile everyone up and they go, oh, it's aliens. (laughs) And then everyone starts seeing UFOs and then hearing stuff. And then you get hundreds of more accounts and people copy each other, man. Fucking rabble rousers, dude. Yeah, dude. These guys are rabble rousing the town. And then also, you know, the town could capitalize off this. People start selling alien t-shirts. They open the bed and breakfast. It's bringing... It's bringing income into the town. So they're like, fuck yeah, mate. Yeah, it's like- We got aliens here. I've seen it myself. It's like Stonehenge, bro. It's like Stonehenge. Okay. All right. 
Interesting. Yeah. Let's capitalize on this. Yeah. And I do think that, um, I mean, honestly, I think it could be a combination of all three of these theories. Like, yeah, some of the sightings, because they're so different, maybe one of those was a craft. Maybe one of those was a fucking sarin gas bomb or some VX nerve agent. Uh, maybe they heard some weird sounds from the jets. Maybe there was a genuine UFO in one of these cases. Maybe. I think it's kind of a combination of all the all this stuff going on, but I definitely do think like the all the UFOlogists coming to this town, this one gentleman, Arthur Shuttlewood, kind of being the uh the front runner of all this information, the bottleneck of all these sources kind of does add a bit of sensationalism to it. And then the town just kind of gets wrapped up in this whole thing. And I do think though, there is some fucking dubious government activity (laughs) going on. I mean, look at all those crazy uh, locations we just talked about. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at on it. Um, now, if we fast forward to the modern era, in 2015, a conference was held in Warminster to mark the 50-year anniversary of the original sightings. The event drew in several UFO enthusiasts and experts in the field who dubbed Warminster as the British UFO capital, making it, as we said earlier, the UK's very own Roswell, New Mexico. The Bufo capital, yeah. <laughs> Yes, now that same year, a large concrete wall was given a colorful mural in the middle of Warminster as artists memorialized the UFO history of the town in a large artwork paying homage to the many stories that have now become part of the local folklore. Now there is a picture of the mural there. Uh, and I'll put this on the Instagram as well. Although the, these aliens look like fucking Slenderman. I was just going to say that. I was like, yeah, it looks like a <laughs> right? fucking Slenderman mural. Yeah, that's a bit freaky. Now, today, the town is still regarded as the UFO capital of the UK, with reported UFO sightings as recent as 2017. And even though more than half a century has passed since the strange events began, there is still no strong theory to 100% explain the origins of the Warminster thing. So there you have it, folks, the Warminster thing. Now, now if we rate this one on our rating scale, Flat Earth to MK Ultra, one through five. Uh, so Flat Earth, Moon Landing, 9-11, JFK, MK Ultra. What are we thinking? What do you guys believe in? What's our what's our rating for this this tale? What do we got? Now, are we just saying in general, or that it was in fact UFO slash aliens, extraterrestrials? Yeah, like the believability, you know. I'm gonna go nine uh, eleven on this one, boys. Right in the middle there, because as Ryan, okay. as Ryan previously stated. I think that this is definitely an instance that could be a culmination of kind of all of the theories that we've talked about because you got the ley lines, you got the government testing facilities, and then as we said it a hundred times on throughout the podcast history, anytime you got testing going on, it kind of goes hand in hand with these alien sightings or UFO sightings. So is it the ley lines? Is it the testing going on 
You know, we don't know. So there's not really a conclusive answer to give. So I'm kind of putting it in the middle, not saying that it didn't happen, but just saying that any of these theories can kind of give an explanation for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Rob. I'm going to go with 9-11 undecided um, for many of the same reasons he mentioned. I did want to point out that Shuttlewood being the primary source of this information, that's a lot of trust to put on one guy. Um, oh, off of Shuttlewood. You know, obviously, Shuttlewood. Not believing him, eh? I don't know if I completely believe Shuttlewood, but um, I'm sure there's some truth kernel somewhere in there. I was a little Australian. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be some sensationalism. People are just going to parrot things that they hear from other people, so I'm sure that's, that's involved. In terms of extraterrestrial, interdimensional, it's a possibility. I mean, look at what's happening in our government right now. We've beat off the dead horse a million times talking about that. We talked about the Arrow Senate hearing over the summer. I mean, this stuff's still rolling, man. Our, we're, we're, we are seeking transparency to this day, which we have yet to find in the, in the United States. Um, so, yes, could there be extra you know, phenomena that we just don't understand? Absolutely. But then again, like Rob said, you do have these facilities that we're testing new technologies, uh, weapons testing, and things of that nature. A lot of these people probably didn't understand the technology, so they didn't know what it was and just assumed it was something off-world. That's, that's a high probability. And if you look at the time, 50s, 60s, post-World War II, this is when the advent of uh, military technology was really coming to a height, uh, coming to a very heightened point. So there was a lot of that going on worldwide. Um, and also a lot of talk about aliens. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there, you could, you could go in any direction with this one, boys. Okay. Now I will go a peg down from, from you gentlemen. I am going to give this one a moon landing. Ooh. Um, you know, I do think, yes, maybe one or two of these accounts and definitely the strange sounds and the invisible fingers of sound and rattling and pinning people down bit weird unexplained um so you know there is a maybe it does hold a little bit of water but i i just think with all the military sites that we discussed around the area like you said the military industrial complex is on the rise people didn't really fully know what this was we're coming out of world war ii um add on top of that all the ufo people flock into this town kind of rabble rousing the the townsfolk hyping them up uh getting them all riled up uh the, you know this small british town doesn't know what hit it next thing you know every tom dick and harry is seeing a fucking ufo so for that reason alone i'm going moon landing with this one and there you have it guys a little a little christmas episode uh for the loyal legion out there now on this one i want to cite www.ufowarminster.co.uk. This is actually a site, I think, operated by Kevin Goodman and Steve Dewey, where they kind of collected all this information on the case. Got a good deal of information there. Obviously, The Warminster Mystery by Arthur Shuttlewood. In Alien Heat, The Warminster Mystery Revisited by Steve Dewey. And thinkaboutitdocs.com. 
for the article 1964 the warminster thing and on that one loyal legion as always thank you guys so much for tuning in um if you want to check out our website podcast from outer space.com you can find out a little bit about us you can check out our merch we just got some uh new stuff up there as of last month pretty cool so you know that's the best way you can support us is buying our merch and you know as always giving us that five-star review baby yes yes thank you so much loyal legion for the listens as rob just said um check out our website the new merch is really really dope um we got what what is that new shirt it's the uh it's like the Ouija theme one, Spirit. right? The Ouija Spirit realm. Spirit realm. realm. Ouija. Yeah, yeah. And we also got that phone number as well. Rob, what was that number again? That phone number is 619-866-6432. So you can text or call and you can uh, give us a shout out. You can tell us maybe something you guys want to hear on an upcoming episode or, you know, just give us a, a cool story that you have, maybe related to uh, UFO sighting. Or the Warminster thing. Yes, and any and all of you UK listeners, were our accents on point? I feel like that some sometimes our accents were pretty good. You know, I think we're pretty. I think we're good, dude. Yeah, dude. I, th- I think we got it. I don't know about mine. I think mine was pretty shaky there. Um, but I think we got some good ones in there. Yeah, it's a work. It's a works in progress. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um. We will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for the listens. And we hope you have a very, very merry holiday and Christmas with your family. So with that, see you on the flip side of the moon, y'all. Peace. Toys.